So this evening we are continuing um, uh, our series in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're looking about what it means to be um, a loving family. And tonight um, the, the title for this is Being a Loving Family Through Right Living. Um, in a minute we're going to read um, the next verses in, in, the, in the chapter, which is verses 13 and 14. Uh, but uh, I also want to, to read um, some, some verses from Philippians chapter 2, probably very well-known verses too, but um, these verses, I think, also shed light on the idea of what it means to be a loving family in general, but also they have, as we'll see, um, some specific um, meaning uh, as we look at the, what, uh, the, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16. So as I said, Verses 13 and 14 um, say this. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. And as I said, Philippians chapter 2, um, verses uh, 1 to 8, it says, If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not just to his own interest, rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even to death on a cross. Amen. So already in this chapter, um, TJ um, has talked us through um, what it means to be a loving family through giving, about thinking about supporting the, the work of, not just here in DBC, uh, but thinking about supporting the, the work of the, the, of the wider church that we are a part of. And then last week, um, Jason um, was dealing with the, the idea of being a loving um, family through, through uh, ministry. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, but he made me smile at the beginning of his sermon when he said that he felt he'd got the short straw when he looked at the verses because they, they seemed to be verses that contained no uh, doctrine and no teaching. Uh, and then, but given the fact that um, the sermon that Jason preached was full of teaching and doctrine, as he said himself, his first assessment was quite clearly, quite clearly long, wrong. So one person preaching on finance, and another person um, teaching um, on um, a passage he says that has no, um, no doctrine, no teaching. Tonight I get to preach on love. So unlike Jason, I can say I've not got the short straw. How hard can it be um, to, to be able to, to preach um, a sermon um, on uh, on love, um, so everybody loves love. 
Sorry, for the first time tonight, I am having problems with my tablet and reading my notes. Everybody loves love. According to the Beatles, all you need is love. Um, Huey Lewis, Jennifer Rush, um, and Frankie Goes to Hollywood sang about the power of love. How many of you been home today, this morning, by the way, and Googled some of these? Um, Freddie Mercury complained about not being able to find somebody to love. And as I said this morning, 20 years later, we still don't know what it is that meatloaf wouldn't do for love. Everybody loves love until they find out how hard and how costly it can be. Um, uh, Jonathan Swift, a 17th century Anglican um, minister, said, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. Uh, There's a poet called Philip Larkin who wrote a poem called Love. And he said, the most difficult thing about love is being persistent enough. Is having, sorry, is being persistent enough to interrupt someone else's existence. What a cheek it must take. So these um, two verses can list five commands culminating in a command to love that Paul challenges uh, his readers to obey. So as we go through these um, five commandments, tonight I want us to think about two things. First of all, as always, how do I apply the, this teaching? How do I put the Bible into practice in my own life uh, in order to be a better Christian? But also, the second thing I want us to think about is, as we think about being a loving family, how do we help and encourage one another to be able to put these things into practice so that we all grow, so that we all benefit? So the first command says, be alert. And Paul starts off there by saying that we need to be deliberate, we need to be intentional, uh, we need to be disciplined about our faith. It's very easy, um, if you've been a Christian for a long time, or if you're in a relationship for any length of time, that after a while you can become complacent. You can just take things for granted and let things, um, let things slide. And it can be no different for us as Christians. We start off, I think for most of us, with a great deal of enthusiasm um, about reading our Bible and about praying and about going to church. And then perhaps as time goes on, we kind of think, well, it's a cold, wet November night. I'd much rather be sitting in the house in front of the television, you know. Or I've got so many other things to do that taking the time to to spend time in prayer or or to read our Bible um, becomes something that we that we, we do off and on. So, are we alert? Do we take time to, to do a, a, sort of a, a spiritual health check to ask ourselves from time to time, how am I doing in the, the spiritual basics, in the, in, the, in the foundations of things like prayer, Bible study, worship both individually and corporately? How are these things affecting what we say, how we behave, how we think, how we treat other people. Or if we're not not doing them, if I can use that bad English, have we just got into a routine of doing them out of a sense of habit and they don't actually touch us. They don't actually do anything in us and therefore show anything coming out of us. 
And I'm not suggesting a spiritual witch hunt that we, we sit there beating ourselves to death and asking ourselves how many hours this week have I spent in prayer or reading my Bible. But it's just spending quiet time before God, just asking God, where are the things still that you, what is it that you want to say to me? Where are the areas that you want to speak to me about? That God very gently and very lovingly maybe wants to put, in his, hand, put his hand on us somewhere and say, well, you've done well. You've come far, but now we need to deal with this thing. We need to look at this attitude, or we need to look at this kind of behavior and ask, is that Christ-like? Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, puts it like this. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. As Christians, are we being deliberate? Are we being intentional? Are we being purposeful in our relationship with God and in our relationship with others and making sure that we're not just letting things cool down or letting things tick over, but that we are continuing to to seek to, to know God and to be obedient to Him. And that brings us on to the next command, be steadfast. The Christian Standard Bible says, stand firm in the faith. It doesn't just say stand firm in faith. Stand firm in the faith, which is the Bible's way of talking about our understanding of Scripture and biblical truth. And are, are we not only got a good grasp of it, but are we living in obedience to it? And some of that comes out of that previous command to be alert. Again, are we being careful to seek out sound biblical truth, whether that's coming to to church on a Sunday? I said this morning, we're very fortunate in the age in which we live in that we probably have more access to Christian teaching in various forms than at any other time in history. We have countless We have countless books, Uh, we have podcasts, we have Christian radio and television, we have the internet, we have all of these things. There's no shortage of teaching. The problem is sometimes is it's sorting out the good from the bad, and sometimes, quite frankly, the downright awful and run away from it stuff. And for me, um, one one of the key things in looking at whether or not someone is teaching good biblical truth, it's not just what they teach, but it's to look at the person themselves and ask yourself, are they putting what they say into practice? Are they walking the talk? And that becomes a challenge for me as a preacher because it's not enough for me just to stand up here and say, here's scripture, this is what the Bible says, now go and do it. But the challenge is that in the Bible, Paul is, n- is never shy to say to, his leader, to, to say to his readers, look at me and follow my example. And so for me as a preacher, the challenge is, can I stand up here and say to you, look at me, not in a proud way, but look at me and follow my example. Am I setting an example that shows that hopefully that what I am preaching and what I'm teaching is sound and true and is therefore trustworthy and is therefore worth, uh, is worth listening to and worth putting into practice. But it's not just 
preachers and teachers that have a responsibility for, for teaching, um, uh, for sound teaching within the church. The reality is that as God's loving family, we all have a responsibility for teaching. That might come as a surprise to some of you because maybe some of you don't see yourselves as a preacher or a teacher. But again, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So church is meant to be a family where when we come together and that doesn't just necessarily mean on a Sunday or missional communities, but sometimes just when maybe we meet for a coffee, when we're having a chat with someone, it's meant to be a place of encouragement where we share with one another what's going on, what, you know, what has God learned, shown us, taught us, maybe recently or maybe over the past few years. If you're doing that thing I mentioned before about being alert and being deliberate about taking time to learn God, uh, about God, um, and, and to, to deepen your faith. If you're doing the thing about, I mentioned about being, stad, about being steadfast and standing firm in the faith, then God should be continually teaching you and showing you new things that you should be finding in your own life that God is speaking to you and helping you and showing you in different ways. And sometimes we need to share that with one another and that we learn about God, not just from someone you know, standing up the front, or not just from an author of a book, but we learn about God from one another and from one another's experiences. And we learn scripture, the things that we didn't know about when somebody else shares with us a scripture that God has used to speak to them. So in this way that we can help and we can uh, encourage one another. It's, for me, it's an absolute tragedy when I when I hear situations of people who instead of finding church to be a place of, of encouragement and a place, a place of growth, that for them church has been a place that has been such a, a, a bitter or angry uh, experience that it causes them to not just leave the church, for, all, for many people sometimes it causes them to lose their faith altogether. And church is meant to be the opposite of that. It's meant to be the place where we come, where we are getting built up and strengthened and we're encouraged in our faith. And encouragement brings us to the third one. Be courageous. This one gave me a problem this morning because depending on which translation you've got, some of our translations, the CSB is one of them, it kind of decides to gloss over this one a wee bit and it goes for a paraphrase but it says be courageous because the Greek word there actually says act like men which maybe sounds a wee bit sexist or misogynist to us in the, the 21st century it's not saying that women can't be brave or courageous and of course they can I love the quote from uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, who is the wife of uh, President Theodore Roosevelt, who said, a woman is like a tea bag. You don't know how strong she is until you put her in hot water. The other quote as well I mentioned this morning is um, that William Booth was criticized for, for having women in the ranks of the Salvation Army. And his reply to somebody that brought that up to him at one point was, some of my best men are women. This word 
um, is one that was, it's used to describe how soldiers are expected to behave in, in the heat of battle. That they are expected to, to, to not take fright and run away, but they're expected to show courage and bravery and stand and fight because that's what they're there for. And so, because in the ancient world, soldiers were exclusively male, that's why it tends to have this male overtone, but it's not an exclusively male attribute, which is also the reason why translations like the CSB, instead of translating it literally, go for a paraphrase and see, be courageous or be brave. When we ask Jesus to become master of our life, the Bible says that we have moved out of the kingdom of darkness, which is ruled by Satan, into the kingdom of light, which is ruled by God. Satan doesn't like that. Also, when we become Christians, we are are basically turning our back on the world, on the world's way of thinking and behaving. We reject what the world values and prioritizes, and the world doesn't like that either. And as, um, sorry, my mind is just going completely blank. Um, so uh, Ronnie this morning um, reminded us the fact that today is the International Day of Prayer for the, for the persecuted church. And so because we now are following Christ, we will find ourselves coming under attack spiritually. And very often that spiritual attack manifests itself in that we find ourselves as Christians being challenged and attacked, persecuted physically, emotionally, or spiritually. That's why Christians are persecuted. It's why they are ignored and ridiculed. And Samuel was quite right tonight to give thanks for the fact that by and large in in our society, we can meet with freedom. If anything, perhaps sometimes as, as Christians, the biggest problem we, f- we face is we just get ignored, that people don't see it as relevant as having anything to, to say that's meaningful in today's culture. But for other Christians, as we've been reminded, to, to come together, to, to pray, to worship together, to open a Bible even in, in the, the, the secrecy, I wouldn't say security, but in the secrecy of your own home, to own a Bible sometimes is enough for you to to be physically attacked or imprisoned. And to be a pastor, to be a church leader, is in some places unthinkable. And so Jesus warned that because we have made this decision that we are going to follow Christ and that we are going to live our lives in a way which sometimes is very contrary and sometimes is quite frankly challenging, to the culture in which we live in. Jesus said uh, in John chapter 16, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. There's the same word. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. And so becoming a Christian and staying a Christian requires courage. It requires bravery to continue to be obedient, to be persistent, to be faithful. And I can't remember where I heard this recently, and I suspect it was probably someone here in Denison uh, in the past couple of weeks um, had said that in the Bible, that, that verses that say things like, do not be afraid or fear not, or I am with you, 
occur over 365 times, once for every day of the week, plus a few more as well. That's how much God wants to strengthen and encourage us because he knows himself just how hard and how difficult it is to, to follow God in a world which has rejected him and therefore rejects us. And very often, not, God will use not just Scripture um, to, to help us and to encourage us, but sometimes, very often, the way in God gives us courage and, keep, and keeps us going is through our brothers and sisters. It's through, their, through your experience, sharing that experience with, with one another. And sometimes it's not just even a case of sitting down and talking with someone and realizing the things that they're going through and being encouraged or being even impressed by their faith and their consistency in the face of hard circumstances. Sometimes just hearing about what they're going through because they're not the kind of person to share it is enough. And again, we... You know, for me, sometimes to hear of the church that is being persecuted and to hear that their prayer is not that the persecution will come to an end, but to pray that they will have the courage to continue to serve and continue to worship and to continue to proclaim Christ. For me, that's humbling because for me, the first thing I would pray if I've been persecuted is for the persecution to end. And instead, our brothers and sisters are asking that our prayers would be for courage, for steadfastness, for strength to continue to worship Christ. And that brings us to the fourth one, be strong. And again, our translations aren't always entirely accurate. It's because the the Greek isn't actually saying be strong. It's saying be strengthened. And that not might seem like much of a, a difference or an important difference, but actually it is. It's the difference between what's called an active verb and a passive verb. An active verb is something you have to do. So you have to be strong. You know? So whether that's you're saying to somebody, basically, you know, you've just got to, you know, um, you've just got to you know, buckle up, you know, just get your chin up, you know, um, just deal with it. That's not what the Bible says. A passive verb is something that happens to you. Be strengthened. Allow yourself to be strengthened. God does not expect us to live or to serve in our own strength. And again, going to Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17, Paul prays this for the church at Ephesus. I pray that he, that is God, may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So here's Paul praying for the church, for the people in the church of Ephesus to be strengthened. Where does the strength come from? It comes from the power and the glory of God. It comes from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And so to be strengthened means to receive spiritual power through the Holy Spirit as we experience the power and the presence of God. And just in the same way as there are countless verses that tell us not to be afraid um, and to fear not, 
There are also, and I don't have a number, but there are countless verses throughout Scripture uh, that, God, that remind us that strength is always God-given. So, Psalm 46, many of these verses will be familiar to you. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Isaiah chapter 12, the Lord himself is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And just as a wee, by, uh, a wee um, by road at the moment, there's two verses that stand in complete contrast. We're reminded in, John, in John's gospel that apart from him, we can do nothing. And we're told in Philippians that I can do all things through him who gives me the power and the strength. That's why the idea of be strengthened and understanding the difference between being strengthened and letting God do it and be strong, something that we're supposed to do is so important that we realize that we, again, as we spend time in God's presence, as we spend time together, that we let God work in us and strengthen us. And again, that's the purpose of what it means when we come together whether it's on a Sunday or whether it's when we come together in missional communities, that we take that opportunity to, to let people encourage us and that we also take the, the, the opportunity, the privilege of sharing and encouraging one another. So be alert, be steadfast, be courageous, be strong, and lastly, but definitely not least, be loving. Do everything in love, says Paul. That is a tall order. Do everything in love. Not just do most things in love. Do some things in love. Do all things in love. We live in a world, I talked about us living in a world that is contrary, live, us living our faith in a contrary to the world, but we live in a world where everyone demands their rights. You know, we constantly are reminded of the importance of human rights and gender rights and children's rights and, and all of these kind of things. Um, at the moment, our government is resurrecting the idea of a Bill of Rights um, to replace the European, um, the, the European Human Rights Act and things like this. And rights in themselves are not necessarily a bad thing. There is no bad thing in, in encouraging people to treat one another with respect and, and to, to, to help and be kind and to encourage. But the problem is we've become a society where we have got so caught up in the idea of rights that we've now turned that in its head and suddenly rights become a demand. You have to treat me like this. You have to give me this. You have to speak to me in this way. Almost to the point now where you can't possibly criticize someone because you're offending their human rights. Last week, um, Jason reminded us that we live in a society where the individual has almost become the ruler in the world where what I want, what I need, is the most important thing. I mentioned at the beginning um, uh, this, uh, the, the, uh, the poem Love, but written by uh, Philip Larkin. It's a wonderful poem. You should go and look it up because the second verse says, and then the unselfish side of love. 
Who can be satisfied putting someone else first so that I come off worst? My life is for me as well as deny gravity. And yet as Christians, we live in the upside-down kingdom where the poor are rich, where the humble are honored, where the rebels are made royalty, where the orphans are made sons and daughters, where the servants are the rulers. And so we are challenged to follow the example of Jesus in Philippians uh, chapter 2. We were asked to have the same love that Jesus had for us, a love that made him give up his rights for us. Literally, what Philip Larkin railed against, to put other people first, even if it means coming off worst. We're called to follow the love of Christ that made him willing to put the needs of others before his own, a love that made him a servant of others, a love that made him a sacrifice even for those who didn't love him. That's a challenge. And so the question tonight is, does that kind of love define us as individuals and as a family? And our human spirits want to reel against that because if I'm going to constantly put other people first, if I am going to take Philippians chapter 2 seriously and look out for the needs of others and not just my own, if I am going to regard other people as more important than me, does that not just mean that I'm going to get used and abused and walked all over? Well, I defy anyone to read the Gospels and to look at the life of Jesus and say that anybody took him for a mug or anybody walked over him. But he never stopped loving. He never stopped being obedient to the Father, even when it was hard, even when it was costly. And that, perhaps, is the biggest challenge for us tonight. That do we have that same love that Christ has? Are we asking God to give us that same love? That a love that means that we look out for one another, that we delight to serve one another and bless one another, that we love one another not because we because they have because people have earned that love or even deserve that love. But do we love because we are because we choose to do so, because we can do so. That's a powerful transforming love. That's how God loves us. And that's how God expects us to love one another. So here's the challenge tonight. When people come into Denison Baptist Church, do they feel that sense of love that we have for one another, that we care about one another, that we look out for one another, that we support and we encourage one another? When people meet us, do they have that sense that we care about them as people? Or do they get this sense that we find them to be an annoyance and an inconvenience? How are we doing with these five commandments tonight? Are we being alert that we're not complacent in our faith, that we are constantly seeking to, to be a better Christian? Are we being steadfast seeking to grow in obedience, not just in knowledge of God? Are we being courageous that we will continue to follow Christ and be obedient to Christ, even when it is difficult, even perhaps when people will perhaps 
um, take it out on us in some way where they ridicule us, where they verbally or physically abuse us, whether that is friends or family or neighbours or uh, work colleagues? Are we seeking to, to be strong in God's strength and not on our own? Are we seeking to be um, are we seeking to be loving, showing others that we value and appreciate them, being patient, being kind, understanding, encouraging, showing others the love of God that we have received ourselves? These are challenging things tonight. And as I said, particularly talking about being strengthened, these are things that God asks us to do. But the good thing is that these are not things that God expects us to do on our own. These are not just habits that we develop and that we work on. But God promises that when we start at the very beginning, when we are alert, when we, when we stop and reflect and look at ourselves and say, well, am I being alert? Am I being steadfast? Am I being courageous? Am I being strengthened? Am I being loving? When we look at these things, and perhaps we feel that we're coming up short, that's when God wants to step in and say, let me work in you and do these things in you and for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's an, it is in one level an impossible challenge to live a life like Jesus on any level. And yet we thank you that you remind us that we can, not because of who we are, not because we develop habits or routines, but we can do these things through Christ who gives us the power and the strength. And so we thank you that you always say to us, not just to do what you do, but you thank you that you give us your Holy Spirit that makes that possible. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for ourselves as individuals. We pray for ourselves as a church that we would be people that, I, that people can see in us Christ because of your work in us. Help us to be a people who support, who help, who encourage, who bless one another, and in doing so, bless our Heavenly Father. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.